know, and experiences that um, I've had in life and talking to a lot of people who don't know Jesus Christ and even those that do, it's always been abundantly clear to me that people struggle with the reality of and, and truth of, of Jesus. And even asking him into their heart, oh, what can be in him? Is that not true for us? Don't we have those moments? And sometimes, maybe in good times, but most often in times of struggle, when hope is dim and we can't see the real and true hope of Jesus, peace, we can't see when peace will come, joy. We let things rob us of our joy and love. Struggle with the reality that Jesus is a gift of God's grace, his love for us. There, there's, there's times when that happens. And when I talk to people who don't know Jesus, it's all the more clear. And they doubt the veracity of Jesus. I, I hope that's not true for you. Or that you're struggling with any of, of the reality or the truth or the depth of the promises that he gives about his hope, his peace, his joy, and his love. I, I just want to share this with you just a minute. There, there's a guy named Peter Stoner. And he was the head of the, the departments of mathematic, uh, mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena College. And he loved God's Word, and he was passionate about the prophecies about Jesus Christ. And so he did a study. He gathered together um, 600 students from InterVarsity, who, remarkably, we just um, joined as a partner in the gospel through Jeremiah Werdeman. And they looked at just eight prophecies, just eight. There are many, um, over 50, but just eight of them eight of the key prophecies about Jesus Christ written by different prophets over a span of a number of years. And then they put it to the test. They put in all of the variables, all of the probabilities of all those coming together and being true in one person. The conclusion of that research was staggering. The prospects that anyone could fulfill just those eight prophecies, let alone all the others, was one to tenth in the seventeenth power. Now, I say that, and you and I have no idea how big of a number that is. Here's how he visualized it for people. You could cover the state of Texas. And if you were from Texas, you know that everything in Texas is bigger and better, right? You could cover the whole state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars. You could mark one. And you could go out and you could bury it somewhere and all of those silver dollars, millions and billions of them. And then you could send somebody out and say, you can go wherever you want in the whole state of Texas. Then you can hunt and search and you can dig around. The likelihood of them finding that one marked silver dollar is 1 to 10 to the 17th power. So I got a question for you. Why is it that God would would do that why would all of these prophecies occur that are so unlikely and so improbable 
You know, science says anything less than an equal chance of one-to-one is, is not real or true. It's improbable. Why tenth to the 17th power? I hope you know the answer. So that there would be no doubt. So that it would be undeniably clear in your mind that Jesus Christ was sent by God alone. Didn't happen by chance. He's a real and forever gift. And so are his promises to you and to me. The promises that we celebrate in Advent. One of those prophecies is found in Isaiah 9. Part of it was read this morning for the Advent candle. It's going to be the truth that we look at this morning. Before I read it, I just want to share um, a little bit about context, about what was going on in the nation of Israel at the time that Isaiah wrote this. Isaiah is, is a book about righteousness, about restoration, and about peace. In the time that that God calls Isaiah to prophesy and prophesy about Jesus Christ, which again we'll read in just a moment, there was a lot of not good things happening. The nation of Israel was being incredibly disobedient. They were dishonoring God in all different kinds of ways. Things were not right and there was not righteousness. And the God who was holy and who had claimed and told Israel that they would be his people speaks to them through the prophet Isaiah, just like he did many other prophets. And he speaks about what it means to be right, and he speaks about what it means to have restoration and what it means to have peace. One problem, the people didn't want to hear it. And so they rejected Isaiah. They rejected his truth. It had nothing to do with what it is that he said. Choosing instead to go their own way and do what it is that they wanted to do. Does it not sound like current culture? Do you think God's word isn't relevant? God spoke, of course, not just his righteousness and what it means to be right, but about what would take and turn the situation what would restore the people to him and where would real peace come from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone and God gives an encouraging word in chapter 9 just as he does in all of the prophecies and who does he give it to those that are willing to be restored those that are willing to be right Isaiah even in chapter 8 verse 18 speaks about him and his family and others And this is a truism as well. That whenever there are things that are going on, there are people that that are so-called innocent people that are caught up in it, in the turbulence and in the strife and in the grief. Just think of the war that's going on right now in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas, right? So many people who are innocent being killed, their blood's being shed. Their homes are being destroyed and their lives torn apart. That's what sin does. God speaks about it, but he gives a promise of peace to the nation of Israel in the midst of that. Now, again, I don't know what your situation is. 
I don't know what's causing you strife or grief or what's hurtful or what the problems are. Something in your family, a tragedy, it could be any number of things. But this promise is for you and this promise is for me. It is incredible and it is powerful. So I ask you, open up your hearts and be filled with this peace. Hear the words of a living and almighty God. Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee by the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy, and they rejoice before you. As people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the Word of God. Might have it written in our hearts, lived in our lives. As I mentioned, um, the nation of Israel was in dire straits. There was all that was going on and all of the things that it was causing. Isaiah had spoken and prophesied, even though they rejected it and pfft, didn't have much to um, put much stock in the consequences and the things that he said was going to happen. But the signs were there. The news was there about a nation from the north, Assyria, that was going to come in and obliterate their land, take them away. God spoke about it through the prophet, though it wasn't an easy time. Heartache was on the horizon. There were a lot of things that they would be going through. Some people knew it and realized it. Others did not. And again, um, there'd be people who would be caught up in it, swept up in it, that really were striving to honor God as citizens in that great land. That's one of the things that I always um, wonder about and share sometimes with people because hey, haven't you heard this um, when people um, do things that are wrong or they sin and they say, what is it to you? It, it, it's about me and it's going to impact my life. That's not true. That's a fallacy. 
See, sin and disobedience is like throwing a rock in a pond. I know I've shared this illustration with you, and then the ripples go out all over the place. In directions we never saw coming and in ways. And that's how the impact of sin is. We never know who it's going to hurt and how badly. We never know what's going to take place. And that's what's going on in Israel. So God brings news. We read about that in verse 1. There will be no more gloom for those that are in distress. It's an incredible start about a promise and about what he's going to do and how he's going to bring change the dawning of a new day. It's an incredible thing to think about. I'm sure that Isaiah was deeply encouraged by it, and so were others that could see the handwriting on the wall. They knew what was going to happen and what was happening even then. But to have this promise be given to them, for them to know that it was coming from the Lord, it was a, a promise of what? Of grace and peace. And we read about that in verses 2 and 3. And what it is that began to, to happen and grow in their hearts. And, and that's one of the things that is so incredible about God's promise before they, they really um, are given a cognate assent in our hearts and in our minds. They, it can change us. Is that not true? We have a saying for that, kind of like we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Have you ever been there? Can you think back to a time when you were really struggling or hurting? And maybe you were at a place that you knew you shouldn't be, follower of Jesus, with the hope and the peace and the joy and the love that he gives. And then something happened, that light clicked on, and you could see just out there that change in the arrival of a new day, that it was coming, that it would be real and it would be true. Have you ever been there? It's an incredible moment. And that's what he's sharing with them, to have an understanding that that's what's in the future. Because of the promises that he's going to give and the child that's going to be born. A promise of peace, of real peace, of everlasting peace. You see how those things are related. The gifts of Jesus, hope, peace, joy, love, all impacting and interwoven together. When you can see that dawning of a new day, when you know that God's promises are real and you connect to them and his presence comes alive in your heart, hope soars, joy begins to bubble and perk up and peace starts to set in. It's incredible. And that's what he wanted those that were right with him in Israel to experience and to know. I know where you're at right now, but change is coming. And I'm going to bless you with my presence, and you're going to see it, and you're going to know it. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Living in the, those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. So that raises a question, doesn't it, for you and me? 
I ask this question a lot. Can you see it? Again, I don't know where you're at. Can you see what it is that Jesus is and who he can be and what that means in hearts and in lives? Powerful. It is a promise again of grace and peace. And it already is. Did you notice what he says in verses 4 and 5 in the language that's used? Because sometimes when we're in the midst of things too, we're, we're just thinking it's not going to happen, it's never going to come. That's when that doubt sets in. Whether it's about promises to, to care for, whether it's about promises to provide. And we look at all of the evidence and we say, no way. And yet, what does God say about who it is that he is and who it is that he'll be? So that you always have hope, so that you always have joy, so that you always have peace. He speaks about the present and uses that tense about the future. He says the war and the battle has already been won. And peace is coming. Look at the language, verse 4. Whereas in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered, already took place, already done. You've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across the shoulders of the rod of their oppressor, already done. Isn't that an incredible way to think about our present? You know, if, if, we, if we had that understanding and that truth and we claim that in God, would there be fears and anxieties and worries? I don't think so. That's the truth of Jesus. The battle's already been won. Victory is yours. Oh, I don't care what situation, what the circumstances are. And to deny that is to deny grace and the reality of a true and a living God, of his power and his might and about what is real. And that's what he shares for them. The war hasn't even started yet. Assyria still hasn't came. They know it's going to happen. Everything's there. All the evidence is there, but, but, but what they're missing is the victory that is God, that God has given already, even before it starts. All of the things that are going to happen, this is a nation that's going to go into captivity. And again, all of the things that Isaiah said would be, would happen. But, but is that a, a, a cause to say, well, then, and many people were doing it? Well, then God isn't really, isn't true. He isn't, we're not his chosen. He doesn't love us. Of course not. If you know God, you know that's not true. And that's his promise. Even before it happens, this already has happened as well. I've broken the rod of your oppressor. I've shattered the yoke that they're going to put upon you. Do you believe it? Good question, isn't it? And then the promise of what would be 
This is what already is, and this is what is coming. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be. Will be fuel for fire, will be. Sometimes we have to go through things we don't like, things that are hard, downright miserable. Whether it's the impact of our sin or another's really doesn't matter. What matters is in the midst of that, who do we know God to be? What do we claim? Are the gifts that he gives in Jesus Christ and that we celebrate at this time of year real and true for us? Are they in our hearts? Are they present? Are they alive? Are they living? That's the celebration. That's what God wants you to have in your heart. Not just during the Christmas season, but always. The hope of a living God. Of his promises to be your Lord. To protect, to care, to love. To have your hope come alive and peace to fill your heart and to calm the fears and the worries. More on the joy and the love in the next couple weeks. And that's what the prophet Isaiah shares with them. This is what is, despite what you see, despite what's going to happen, and this is what will be. Why? Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given the prophecy the prophecy of Jesus Christ that improbable claim even the words that follow there's a reason that Jesus was rejected when he was born and when God gave his call and he he started to exert himself in his ministry and his mission because it's not who they were looking for. A child? A baby? How crazy is that? A carpenter's son? A nobody? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can you hear the words? Yes. Because you know, if Jesus was born of royal heritage, if he came out of a family that was rich and powerful, if he came out of uh, that type of a situation, environment, where he could muster thousands and millions of soldiers, where would the reality of God's presence and care, would it be believed? No. There'd be credit given everything else but him just like always was and so yes from a baby born in a manger a carpenter's son and I hope and trust that you believe that as well that the promises of God were given that night so long ago in an improbable way in one that Again, um, all the odds scientifically and empirically didn't say this is who he was. But simply because of God's grace and his goodness, he brought him to earth to 
come alive and to be your Savior, your Redeemer, your Lord, your King of Kings, your Prince of Peace. Luke 12, verses 49 to 53 speaks about what it is that Jesus brings. And we talk about peace in very warm and eloquent ways, even in the country and the nation's leaders. But as you also hear and know, we talk about freedom and we talk about peace. It all comes at a cost always. That's what Luke 12 speaks about. There's always things to go through, things that have to happen to arrive at real peace. And with Jesus, it was the same. I think about all the things that he endured, all of the mocking, the ridiculing, the spitting, the beating, the rejection, all of the things that Jesus went through so that there would be real peace. There was a price to be paid for it. And in our hearts and in our lives, that's true as well. I want you to think about that. And when I have conversations with people who don't know Jesus and who don't know peace, that's the struggle. What am I going to have to give up to get this Jesus? What am I going to have to give up to have real peace and real hope of a forever life in him? The answer is simple. Yourself. There needs to be this surrendering in the heart to recognize that the world doesn't revolve around you. To recognize that, that your life needs to be different and changed by grace. And that from this point on, if you're going to life, uh, live a life that's self-serving or make it all about you, everything that, that goes along with that, you want to be in control, you want to be in the driver's seat, God will let you, it'll be okay, you can do that. But he wants something so much more for you, something so much deeper and richer and beautiful. Forever hope, forever peace, forever joy. And isn't it true that when we struggle and we have those moments, it's when there's not a surrendering to the person in the presence of Jesus? Always. No matter how people spin it or frame it, that's the reality, and that's the truth. But God desires something different. Can you see it? Again, in your heart and in your life, the things that you're going through and dealing with, maybe things aren't so bad or whatever. That's great. I hope they stay that way, but they're only going to stay that way one way. <laughs> you know the answer. Jesus Christ. Who will he be to you? Who is he? Is he the one that brings hope eternal in your heart when you wake up each and every morning? Is he the one when fears and worries and doubts start to creep in or hostility and bitterness that is your Prince of Peace? Your forever peace? Verses 6 and 7 speak about that. There's this great description about who Jesus is, again, making it undeniable who he is and what will be. Government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. No one should ever deny 
the power and the presence and divinity of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, of his increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Do you see those words? <clears throat> you reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing, upholding it with justice and righteousness from now, from that time on and forever now, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Righteousness, restoration, peace. Incredible promises to a lost and hurting world. Think of the words of Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You don't know Jesus, you don't have peace, talk to God about it. Pray. Go before Him. Give away things that you're holding on to to receive the best, including the gift of forever peace. It gives sweet release from distress and bitterness, hostility. It's unexplainable, it's unimaginable. And it's what God wants you to have and me in our hearts. Peace, sweet peace. So that what the angels proclaimed in Luke 2, verse 14, will forever be. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. Those that are in and that know God and know his promises, claim them and live them from day to day in the fullness promises that we celebrate during this time of year and that he hopes burn bright in our hearts each and every minute of each and every day. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, may the peace of a risen Lord, of a child that was born long ago, be yours and fill your heart. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for your promise of peace. Lord, I thank you that the battle's already won. Long before Jesus was even born, you saw the sin and the disobedience on earth. And you said, I love those people. And I will bring them a Savior, one who will redeem them, one who will forgive their sins. And I'll ask them, to open that gift and to have them come into their hearts forever. I'll create a way for everlasting hope and everlasting peace. Lord, we praise you. We praise you for Jesus. We praise you for everything that is ours in him. We thank you for the encouragement that your word gives and for the bright future that it promises. You are a good and a glorious God. We celebrate your grace and all the forever gifts that are ours in Jesus Christ this morning. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.